This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Great to have you along for this edition of Where Parents Talk. My name is Leanne Castellino. Thanks for joining us here on 105.9 The Region. How much fun are you having as a parent? Does being a mom or dad make you happy? Are these things you ever think about in the busyness of raising kids today? We are going to dive into those topics with our guest. He is a behavioral scientist, an organizational psychologist, and a thought leader in the positive parenting space. Dr. Mike Rucker is also an educator in the science of fun and a father of two. He's a first-time author. His book is called The Fun Habit, How the Pursuit of Joy and Wonder Can Change Your Life. Dr. Rucker joins us today from North Carolina. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for having me. Really interesting topic because I think it's something that not many of us think about intentionally. But the fact is the pursuit of happiness can be a relentless, lifelong, often futile journey for many people. So should we be pursuing joy and fun instead of happiness? And if so, why? Where happiness has become problematic, especially here in the West, is kind of putting it on a pedestal as an ideal, right? And so if you look at it from an evolutionary standpoint, it really was meant to be fleeting so that we were properly motivated to do things that would lead to our success as a species, right? Things like eating um, high dense calorie foods, right? Things like procreating. So, you know, this idea of always trying to sort of stay at the top of the pedestal is essentially, we call it the hedonic treadmill for a reason, because, you know, eventually you're going to level set and want to desire something more. But if you find your enjoyment and fun and something inherent and you're mindful about how you experience those things, it tends to be a lot more sustaining because you're not chasing something per se. You're really enjoying yourself where your two feet are. So let's dig into that a little bit more using the perspective of a scientific lens. What does the science say about the benefits and impact of fun? Well, one, it allows us to engage in healthier behaviors longer, right? And so sometimes we like to think about it as system one, system two thinking. And for folks that don't understand that concept, haven't read, you know, thinking fast, thinking slow, essentially, if we don't have to think about the activities that we're doing and they're enjoyable and they draw us to them, we'll do them longer. And so, so many of us are looking through the lens of martyrdom and, you know, we'll kind of derive our self-worth through agony or, um, you know, like, I just need to grind this out and then everything will be okay. And ultimately that's not sustainable. If we're always kind of repelled by the things that we're doing, it leads to burnout. And we're especially seeing that phenomena here um, in North America, right? Where uh, in 2023, even coming out of the pandemic is some of the worst burnout we've ever seen. Uh, academically, I research physicians, and uh, in America specifically, it's the highest rate we've ever seen at 63% of physicians reporting that they're burnt out. So finding ways to enjoy ourselves more, whether at work or hopefully between work and leisure becomes extremely important, you know, through that lens. And so it also comes with a whole host of benefits, right? When we're enjoying ourselves, our stress goes down. And so we can see high correlations with reduced um, negative outcomes, both 
physiologically and psychologically. It boosts our immune systems because when we're enjoying ourselves, and again, that stress gets reduced, right? We release endorphins and we know that that makes us feel better. It helps us sleep better, which you know creates the foundation for solid well-being. Um, and then you know it comes with the uh, idea of social bonds as well. And so when we know we're having fun with friends, we feel more connected with them. And when we do need that emotional flexibility, um, because something does, you know, bad does happen to us, we have that that underpinning that allows us to know that, okay, right now is not really that great, but I know that fun's waiting for me in the future once I'm able to, you know, process, you know, whether it be something as benign as just, you know, something casually that bad happens to you all the way up to trauma, you know, being able to effectively um, process that and then sort of move on with your life. Focusing on burnout and stress for a moment, certainly two words that a lot of parents can attest to and potentially experienced even more so due to the global pandemic. You're a dad yourself with two kids under 12. Thinking about having fun is not always an automatic for parents. So how can a parent pinpoint joy in their lives? It's really a practice in mindfulness, right? So um, I offer up in the book, The Fun Habit, kind of five different tools. I package them um, using the acronym SAVER. But the first is really understanding that you have more agency and autonomy than, than you likely think, right? When we're parents and we're really burnt out, this can be you know both for work and domestic duties. That tends we get this false belief that we don't have control over our environment just because we're so burnt out right we have so little energy that we have to really use linear thinking to get through the day right like i just need to get through this task list you know um there is a gender bias to this women you know because they tend to have more empathy you know moms will just i have to do this for the folks that i love so it comes through this lens of you know a sense of duty you know, fathers have uh, other variables at play, but ultimately, you know, when we are just like, I just need to get through the day, we're not thinking about how we can create transition rituals between the things that we have to do and the things that we get to do. And generally, we get to do a lot more than we perceive. And so the first is that awareness of going, okay, let me just sit down. You know, there's 168 hours in a week. Let me see how I'm spending this. And granted, most of us will have things, what I call agonizing activities that we can't reorchestrate. But a lot of us have a lot more flexibility in big chunks of time than we think. And so an example I often use for parenting is, you know, and I saw this through uh, observation, um, you know, a lot of parents will take their kids to the park because they're like, I just need to get my kids out of the house and be active, but they'll sit on the park bench and essentially just, you know, engage in passive leisure, like, you know, thumbing through uh, um, Instagram or whatever it is, just trying to displace the boredom they have because they've looked at this as a work task. And so just a subtle shift of like, wow, these are two hours I have with my children and I can dictate what we're actually doing. So in my own life, what I did, I, I go to classes with my kids. So um, I ended up pulling my daughter you know, using a similar example. I had her going to a tumbling class where I was that parent just sitting on the bench watching her. And so changed out that activity for doing a daddy-daughter dance class where I could actually engage in the activity as well. And so not only, you know, was my daughter doing the thing that we wanted her to do, but now I was, you know, creating these amazing memories with her and being an active participant within that one hour of time. So that's just one example of how, you know, through a little bit of creativity, you can shift these things that 
oh, I just got to get this done into something that's really fun for both of you. And if you get really creative with it, you know, my daughter's kind of aged out on wanting to dance with her dad. And so we replaced it with cooking. Um, but that's another amazing activity where we're co-creating these really joyful moments together, you know, both, you know, moving towards a path of mastery. And now we have these memories that we can relish too. So the fun sort of, you know, has this added benefit after the fact. We are in conversation with Dr. Mike Rucker, behavioral scientist, thought leader in the science of fun, and author of The Fun Habit. Take us through, Dr. Rucker, what does made you decide to pursue fun in your own life? Yeah, so I found myself endlessly chasing happiness. I was had over-optimized my life. I had somewhat uh, a little bit of success as a health um, entrepreneur at, at the company I still work for. And everything was really going well for me, but I really started like, plug in my good days, you know, in a spreadsheet looking for correlations. And the problem with how we look at happiness, specifically in psychology, we boil it down to something called subjective well-being and kind of rate it on a scale of zero to 10, right? And where that becomes problematic, and this isn't just my own conjecture, this has um, now been widely studied, but one of the initial researchers, Dr. Iris Mouse at a University of California, Berkeley, who has done amazing work in this area is that what happens when you kind of reach that pinnacle, right? Anything bad that happens, it has you tumble down the pedestal. And that's exactly what happened to me. You know, I had over-optimized my life for always trying to be as happy as I could. And in 2016, um, not only did I lose my younger brother quite suddenly, but um, I also lost my ability to run. And I was, you know, that was one of the main activities I had for fun. So obviously, would way rather have my brother back than my hip. But, uh, you know, that one-two punch of becoming an only child, essentially, and then not identifying as a runner, which was, you know, one of my main facets of, of my personal identity, really blew me up. And so I kept trying to, like, you know, I can will myself out of this. You know, I'm a helpless optimist like this. Is, and I found that the more I tried to dig myself out of the hole, the less happy I was. And I've now come to discover that once you are always chasing happiness or sort of hold it up as an ideal, so not necessarily valuing, it's important to, you know, talk about semantics here, right? Like wanting people to thrive, you know, valuing happiness as an ideal, wanting you, your family to be happy, that's not problematic. Where it becomes problematic, especially here in the West, where, we're, you know, we live in an individualistic society. So we tend to hold on to, you know, the good things, but also really hold on, you know, uh, in our heart, the bad things, that if you're overly concerned about how you compare, you know, to others, you know, and especially with the advent of social media, where you're comparing yourself to curated, you know, lives uh, uh, of your cohorts and neighbors, that energy, that rumination on, you know, where you want to be versus where you're not, that gap becomes really problematic. And over time, for folks that are familiar with psychology, it's really cognitive behavioral therapy in reverse, you know, because you're ruminating on, oh my gosh, I'm unhappy. I'm not where I want to be. You know, I used to be here and I want to get back there. And so those negative loops start to bleed in subconsciously to your identity. And you're like, well, obviously I must be an unhappy person, you know? And then once that happens, it becomes insidious because then you start to look for artifacts and things in your life that support that because that's just how human nature is. And so why juxtapose to that process of being overly concerned 
with happiness and, and, and potentially becoming unhappy. If you're mindful of just where you are, you know, circumventing, you know, the emotional state and, you know, preserving time for, you know, unpacking things that are, that are unfortunate. If you realize that you have the agency and autonomy anytime in any given moment to create, you know, fun activities, to find that joy in life, to potentially get out in nature and invite on wonder in, then you realize that you can bias your life so that things, you know, are on the brighter side, right? Rather than ruminating and expending that energy, kind of not taking action at all. And so that's the difference. Happiness tends to be this activity and evaluation. We're really just living in our head and trying to unpack the things that are happening. Where fun really has this action orientation, right? Where, okay, I get it. You know, being sad right now is an appropriate emotional response, but I can go to a comedy show or I can go you know, if I really just need to unload, I, I do have the opportunity to invite my best friend to coffee, you know, which is maybe going to be, you know, a melancholy conversation, but going to be enjoyable for me because I like the company of this person. And so that's the shift. One is sort of a leading indicator of, you know, experiencing life in a more pleasant way, where the other is really just sitting, you know, and living in the past. Much more ahead with our guest, Dr. Mike Rucker, organizational psychologist, researcher, and positive parenting thought leader. Stay with us. Where Parents Talk returns after the break. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. Welcome back. What is the difference between chasing happiness versus infusing more fun into your life as a parent? That's the focus of our conversation today. Our guest is Dr. Mike Rucker, an educator and researcher in the science of fun. He's also a father of two and a first-time author. His book is called The Fun Habit. Dr. Rucker, the pandemic has many people discovering or rediscovering parts of themselves that perhaps they never previously considered. What would you say resonates about your book now because of COVID-19? Yeah, I think, you know, it's a double uh, edged sword, right? But the silver lining of the pandemic is a lot of us realized that we were giving too much away, right? I think, you know, it's Simon Sinek, you know, the Simon Sinek's of the world, um, you know, uh, this idea of knowing your why I think was important, right? That was a big idea before the pandemic. But I think what the pandemic opened up is, you know, what is the, um, what am I giving away, right? You know, knowing your what as much as knowing your why. And so many people had realized that they had habituated their lives in a way that time was passing them by. I mean, we really got this intimate relationship with time because it was taken from us. And so some people came out, you know, especially the ones that had a slant towards a growth mindset of going, I don't want to get back to those rhythms of life that were essentially stealing time from me. Um, while others habituated their lives in a way where they weren't contacting their friends, um, you know, they were worried about their personal safety. And it's not like we're out of the woods, right? I mean, you know, COVID's still a real thing. Um, so you saw some folks, you know, kind of take back that value of time. In psychology, we call that time affluence. And we know folks that sort of value the construct of time over the concept of money. 
because if you really want to make more money, right, you can trade time for it, but there's no way to make more time where we don't know how much we're given, but whatever that is, is finite, right? And so using it more wisely, I think was um, really valuable coming out of the pandemic because people had that intimate relationship and some people are making better choices. The other side, uh, you know, like I said, it was double edged. Some people, because we are folks that like to habituate our behavior, you know, got into these rhythms where it's sort of like, I just need to get through this because I'm afraid of my personal safety. So I think if you find yourself, you know, where you, things have become too routine and you haven't really come out of the pandemic questioning things, you know, maybe using this as an opportunity to piece things back together in a way that you do have that intimate relationship with time. And so a great way to do that, you can easily find this online. I have, um, you know, something available at share.michaelrecker.com forward slash memento dash uh, Mori. Um, uh, but uh, there's some other ones as well. You know, it's figuring out, looking at your life in kind of a grid and figuring out like how much time do you have left. And just that visual representation can be really meaningful. Like, wow, you know, okay. I want to understand how I'm going to spend the rest of this time because a lot of us don't think about that with the end in mind, right? And so as morbid as that sounds, having that sort of awareness, kind of thinking backwards, and this, these are the things I want to do, we tend to integrate more adventure, get more curious, you know, reach out to our friends because then we have that intimacy of knowing like, okay, I only have a certain amount of time to do these things. And so to circle back to your question, I think that's another thing. You know, we did see, unfortunately, you know, how quickly the end can come for some, right? And so, you know, valuing that fact. And again, anyone that's interested in that construct, you know, looking at this idea of time affluence, like, are you able to spend time in a very autonomous manner, the same way that someone might think about having enough money to spend, you know, and so devising a life that gives you both that type of balance becomes extremely important. When we talk about parenting and infusing fun into the lives of moms and dads, how would you suggest that parents try to determine what fun even means to them? Because that can be an obstacle for people who haven't actively pursued it. Yeah, and there's a bunch of different headwinds for that, right? I mean, it's a really good segue from the last question. I think, you know, some people you'll go through that exercise. Well, think back when, you know, how you had fun as a child. Some of those might not be appropriate. And that's where people get stuck, right? Like, well, I don't want to ride my tricycle around the block anymore. That's not fun, right? Because it can be a good place to start for a lot of folks. You know, they'll remember that they really enjoyed a hobby, you know, perhaps music or whatever it was. And then they can go back to it. But for others, they might have aged out of, of what they like. And so it really does require to get a little bit curious. And so that is when you can look at, you know, things like social media, specifically with your, your friends or, um, you know, just exploring things that might be enjoyable, getting out of those rhythms and just trying a few things. And if the first few things fail, you know, like, let's say you picked up an improv class and you're like, that was absolutely horrible because I'm an introvert and, you know, whatever it may be, like, don't give up, right? Just know, kind of laugh and go, okay, that's not for me, but that keep experimenting with things that might be enjoyable um, or use your kids as a, a way to get there. Obviously, don't, if what they're doing, like playing matchbox cars, it, you know, is not your idea of fun, don't do that. But, you know, engage in dialogue, again, like what I did with my daughter. And maybe it is something that both of you guys can do together because 
you don't have the time to go explore things by yourself. The last thing I'll say, and again, this is something that's happened in the West, is uh, you know, due to how things are marketed to us, a lot of folks are like, you know what, I'm just not a fun person because they think that high arousal extroverted activities are the only way to have fun. This research comes from Jeannie Sai out of Stanford. We should celebrate things like serenity and calm and peace as being just as fun as going to, you know, Rage Against the Machine rock concert. And so maybe one of the reasons you think you can't have fun is because, you know, we've been kind of force fed this ideal that fun has to be a night out dancing where, you know, for a lot of folks, fun might be just asking your partner, can I have a two hour reprieve? Because I haven't read a good book in a while, you know? And so whether you want to call that self-care or not, you know, fun is just engaging in pleasurable acts. And if, if, you know, that means that your tastes and preferences have changed and just finding a little bit of time for yourself is what it's going to take to have fun, then go ahead and do that. Give yourself permission. You know, it doesn't have to be, a, you know, an extravagant night out. You can really find fun in the spaces. And it's so important. I guess just to like button it up into a bow, we're now looking at fun and leisure the same way we looked at sleep in the 1990s, right? We now know because again, sleep deprivation was kind of championed, you know, uh, 30 years ago that, that that's just not healthy. You know, if you're not getting seven to eight hours of sleep a night, eventually you're going to fall down. And we're now seeing that be the same. If folks aren't, you know, at least enjoying one to two hours um, in their week, let alone their day, that's, we're seeing this burnout. And so ultimately, if you feel guilty about taking a little bit of time off the table for yourself, know you're doing it to be supportive for the folks around you as well for two reasons. And so the, the principle here is the hedonic flexibility principle. But what we know from huge studies, the sample size is 20,000 people, that the folks that aren't enjoying themselves ultimately don't have the vigor and vitality to continue on being productive. So you need to take, just like sleep, you need to enjoy a few hours of the week to be able to recharge your batteries so you can do the harder stuff. There's also another concept called social contagion that if you are, are so depleted of a joyful life that you don't feel great and you know so you essentially you know are always worn down, that ends up transferring to the folks that you like. You know, if you're always kind of in this state of malaise, the the people around you are going to be unhappy as well. So, you know, it's almost like we're always in a downward spiral and upward spiral. And so, you know, trying to create a life with some self-compassion. So it's not like you want to just add this to your to-do list, right? But if you're not finding joy in anything, trying to figure out how to sort of get out of that so that you can, you know, create something, you know, that's more uplifting becomes extremely important, not just for yourself. You know, again, if you're kind of underpinned of this sense of guilt, well, you know, right now I need to be in service of, you know, my aging parents and, and my young children. Know that you're doing it for them too. And then the byproduct is you, you get to have a little bit more fun. Dr. Rucker, are there any specific myths as they relate to fun versus happiness that you believe really need to be dispelled in order for people to be able to pursue fun more authentically? Yeah, I think people get hung up on fun as being this act of whimsy, right? And again, I think we've dispelled that already. We know that, you know, if you succumb to only deriving self-worth through productivity, that ultimately not living a joyful life will collapse that. And so figuring out what that balance or blend, whatever, you know, 
some people get hung up on that word. So pick balance or blend, whatever works for you. You know, if you have to integrate it without, or if, you know, transition ritual from work to leisure works better for you. Doing that isn't an act of whimsy. It's not, you know, um, self-serving. It's ultimately a way that you can revive the vitality you need to live, not just a productive life, but also one of finding meaning. Because we know folks that are enjoying the things they do are the ones that seek out harder challenges. But we know that really enjoying the things that you're doing becomes a necessary component of transcendence. So it's not just to just be pro, you know, productive. It's also so that you can you know, begin to grow. This is where parents talk on 105.9 The Region. I'm Leanne Castellino, and our guest is Dr. Mike Rucker, author of The Fun Habit. Dr. Rucker, could you take us through some of the key pillars of the play model and how they support the pursuit of fun? Yeah, so the play model is really just kind of a mindfulness exercise to be able to look at those 168 hours. Play stands for pleasing, living, agonizing, and yielding. Um, And it's a way to look at the activities in your week through the amount of energy you expend doing them and the amount of pleasure they bring you. And so when you look at that model, and it's it's really easy to find, you know, Googling Ruckler play model will come right up. Um, you know, it, it allows you to take, again, you know, a pretty easy exercise of looking at the 168 hours in your week and plotting them on those uh, four quadrants. And then each quadrant has a way of, you know, potentially pushing it up um, so that's more enjoyable. Let's take agonizing activities, which are, um, you know, take a lot of energy and really not enjoyable. Like, there's a whole host of different strategies. Are there ways to potentially get somebody else to do it, right? Again, you know, this is sort of rooted in privilege, but, you know, if you look at how much your time is worth, you know, maybe, you, you, you know, instead of doing laundry, you do fluff and fold, right? Um, or oftentimes things that are, you know, really not fun, you can approach them in a different way, right? So I suggest like looking at them through the lens of being an anthropologist. If you step away from a big, heady problem and kind of look at it from the outside in, oftentimes there's a much more enjoyable way of doing that activity. But I think, you know, if we're trying to wrap up and looking at the lowest hanging fruit, it's really that yielding quadrant, which is things that don't really bring us much pleasure, but are really easy to do. And so we engage in them just to displace um, boredom or discomfort. And so that's things like social media use, not necessarily watching TV shows that we like, like with a partner, or, you know, I, I used to love to watch Lost because I love philosophy. So I'm not villainizing watching TV, but things where we just plop down on the couch because we're so burnt out and we're, you know, channel surfing. And we, if I asked you a week from now, you know, what were you watching? You couldn't tell me because you didn't encode any of that information. And so those are the pockets of really, how can I do a different activity within this space, because what we know, and again, we classify this active leisure versus passive leisure. If we're really enjoying that time, that tends to be invigorating. And so, you know, again, just mindlessly, you know, um, spending that time doing passive leisure, it doesn't fill us up. It doesn't really add to rest, even though we'll trick ourselves, you know, cause we're on the couch. But when we start to integrate these things that are more enjoyable, uh, when we check in with ourselves the next day, we we generally do have more vitality and vigor, and it, but it's hard to get there psychologically because you know it is just comforting, right? When we're so tired to just kind of plop down and do nothing. 
And so that's how that model can be used to essentially get really strategic about and more mindful about how we're spending our time. Dr. Mike Rucker, author of The Fun Habit, How the Pursuit of Joy and Wonder Can Change Your Life. Thank you so much for your time and your insight today. Thank you so much for having me. The full video version of this interview and podcast is available at whereparentstalk.com. I'm Leanne Castellino. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you'll join us next time. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region.